Hello and welcome to episode 21 of the Aquarius Podcast. I'm your host, Randy Reed. Yes, we are diverging from the canned intro for a quick shout out to a listener. A few days ago, I had the opportunity to meet Brandon from here in the Seattle area at the Aquarium Co-op. It was great to talk with someone that is a fan of the show, but to really make the experience that much better, Brandon was picking up a Shodentai Puffer or the Congo Spotted Puffer. Some of you may already know this, but I am the proud owner of a Shodentai Puffer for about two months now. These little buddies are amazing fish and I can't recommend them enough. So much so that I was trying to sell another co-op customer to buy one. So Brandon, if you're listening, reach out to me and let me know how your puffer's doing. If you're enjoying this podcast, please rate, review, and share, share, share this podcast to all of your fish nerd friends. Now, on to the interview. Today's date is Wednesday, June 20th, 2018. My guest today is Matthew Grant. Matthew is the owner of Printed Reefing Solutions, an online retailer of 3D printed aquarium accessories, all designed and manufactured by Matthew. So Matthew, welcome to the Aquarius Podcast. Uh, thank you for having me, Randy. Absolutely. Um, you know, when I saw you on, uh, you know, some of the posts on the U.S., I think it's, uh, I always goof this uh, Facebook group up, but it's USA Freshwater Plants and Shrimp. Is that the group? Yes. Okay, yeah, all those guys, and I've already interviewed a couple guys from that group. They're probably going to give me a hard time for for messing that name up. Um, but I saw, you know, several posts uh, of guys that have had these really cool-looking colorful um, corner filters and all these other, you know, really cool-looking magnetic um, 3D-printed things. And, um, you know, you dig into it a little bit, and they all got it from you. And, you know, setting up a couple new tanks, I knew that that was kind of the direction I wanted to go, at least having corner mat infiltration um, or something in that vein. So it was very natural natural for me to want to reach out to you, have a conversation with you, um, one, to buy your product, but two, just, you know, the, the, the sheer curiosity that I have to want to know how you got started. So before we jump into printed reefing solutions, um, why don't you give us kind of a rundown on, you know, your time in the uh, aquarium hobby? Uh, sure. Uh, I've probably been in the saltwater side the longest, dabbled in freshwater, you know, tropical tanks, uh, stuff like that when I was a kid. Um, probably in about high school, a friend of mine got me into uh, salt water, and I've been in and out of salt water since. That was probably mid '90s or so, um, and a lot's changed in the salt water side, especially since then. Um, like I said, that's kind of been my main focus, uh, and as of late in the last several years, uh, you know, shrimp of the uh, freshwater shrimp have really caught my eye, and I've, I've started up several tanks with those and uh, dabbled in the uh, freshwater shrimp. So those those are kind of my two home bases for for the aquarium hobby. So I'm, I'm curious, being a saltwater guy for an extended period of time, what is it in particular that made you want to keep freshwater shrimp? Uh, you know, it's, saltwater is very big and extensive, I guess you could say. Um, you know, pico tanks, nano tanks, stuff like that, you don't see too much of just because the parameters bounce so much and they're a little harder to keep stable at those smaller, smaller aquarium sizes. And, and freshwater shrimp, I mean, you can you can keep a stable three gallon aquarium, no problem. And uh, the cost to get into it isn't as high as salt water. So it's kind of a nice little change, something something that keeps my interest going. So that's very reminiscent of my conversation with Eric Martins and how he was talking about, um, you know, saltwater guys when they get into the um, dwarf shrimp game, especially the, the Caradinas. Um, you know, we start talking about RO water and all that stuff. Like it's almost like second nature and it probably seemed remedial to you, right? As far as, you know, keeping parameters. Yeah, exactly. I don't want to say remedial, but, um, for saltwater, I'm a 
big believer in researching, you know, what you're doing, uh, spending a lot of time asking questions and digging through information and, and learning. So water chemistry is really an important thing in salt water, and, and you get into depth in water chemistry pretty deep when you're doing the uh, saltwater side. So when you come to the freshwater side, you, you look at the parameters that you're holding, and you kind of look at it, and you're like, yeah, it's only a couple things. This, this is actually pretty easy compared so, you know, it's, it's, it's intuitive because we already know the water chemistry if, if you're deep into uh, salt water. So it's, it's a pretty easy thing to step into. Uh, Eric and I have talked about that uh, several times, and it's, yeah, it's definitely uh, something that salt water guys can step into pretty quickly. Yeah, and that was just a kind of a comparison between the two hobbies. So no offense to uh, any of the just straight freshwater uh, shrimp keepers out there that I called it remedial. It's, uh, you know, you, you still got your work cut out for you. Yeah, and it's it's a learning curve, and like I said, we just on the saltwater side, you've, you that learning curve was much steeper and much deeper into chemistry, um, so you kind of surpass what you need for the freshwater side. So when you step back to the freshwater, you're like, oh, okay, these are kind of as you'd say, kind of back to the basics on some of the water. So it, it makes it pretty simple. So then, what were some of your first uh, freshwater shrimp that you kept? Um, you know, I, I, like I said, I like to do my research and also I started with, uh, the Neo Caridinians, uh, something a little simpler just to make sure that I kind of got my feet wet, if you say, um, uh, you know, setting up the tank and, and making sure that I kind of understood how the shrimp behaved and what they needed and then, uh, kind of just evolved from there and then started setting up the, um, Caridinia tanks and, uh, and keeping some of the more, uh, difficult Caridinia to kind of, uh, I, I like to constantly, um, I, I guess, push myself to keep learning uh, new techniques or new filtrations or, you know, um, new setups just to see what's out there and, and see how they work for me. Oh, very cool. So then uh, walk me through what is your current fish room, right? Uh, I'm sorry. What is your current fish room look like? And feel free to include your saltwater tanks. Uh, right now, it looks like a giant mess, Randy. Um we, uh, my wife and I, we just moved into a house uh, last October, um, and it's been a um, probably 60% remodel on the main floor. So my saltwater tank isn't even set up yet. It's in a one of those 120-gallon Rubbermaid tanks down here in the basement. Um, and then uh, my uh, my shrimp racks and stuff like that are just kind of down here in the basement with me. And it's, it's a it's a Frankenstein setup for a while. How many shrimp tanks do you have right now? Uh, let's see. I have five main ones um, that I keep right now. Um, I have other tanks that are dry due to all the moving and everything. And then uh, um, I keep one at work myself. I, I have one on my desk at work and then for my day job. And then uh, I have a 180-gallon saltwater tank that will be set up uh, once once the remodeling is all done. Awesome. And then to kind of walk through your five main uh, shrimp tanks that you have, um, I, I guess, what size are those and what kind of shrimp are you keeping in there? Uh, mainly 10 gallons, um, just to keep it simple. Um, I keep uh, Red Rileys or Rileys, whatever, however you like to pronounce that. Um, I got a mixed cherry um, um, tank. I have a, a PRL line. Um, uh, some old orange eye blue tigers uh, from uh, Eric 
And then uh, I've got a mixed uh, Caradenia tank with some like galaxies and blue bolts and red wines and stuff like that. And it's kind of an experimental tank. And PR, PRL stands for, or is it PLR? Uh, PRLs, pure red lines. So they're a uh, crystal red shrimp that just breed true. Oh, cool. Very cool. Um, and so then I'm, I'm very curious about the, uh, the tank that you have at work now. Are you self-employed or are you working for um, an employer? Uh, I work for an employer. Okay. And then the uh, yeah. your local facilities guys, they're not giving you a hard time for having an aquarium? No. Uh, actually, uh, uh, <laughs> it's kind of funny. I'm actually a plant engineer by day. Um, and at my desk, I keep a uh, um, tangerine tiger tank, just a small kind of uh, three-gallon tank on the, on the desk. And uh, everybody get, gets a kick out of it at work. You know, they like coming in and checking it out. And they're just kind of... Um, they kind of shake their head when they see these tiny little shrimp swimming around, kind of something different for them. But uh, my day job is uh, we deal with wastewater treatment. So we do one of our products that most people would know is uh, chlorine tablets for your pool. Um, we manufacture those. So we we basically manufacture everything to kill anything biological in water. Oh, very nice. So that's a nice contrast. You have this kind of, you know, thriving little three gallon on your desk surrounded in a, in a vast wasteland of uh, everything that wants to kill it. Exactly. Yeah. It's kind of uh, uh, ironic, I guess you could say. Have you uh, won over any, any of your coworkers that were like, man, Matthew, like, you know, at first I didn't know what to think of your tank, but now I want you to come to my house and set one of these up. Do you have any of those fun stories to share? Uh, I had one guy that was, uh, he was interested in setting up a little tank, wasn't, uh, wasn't too uh, keen on it at first. And, uh, he ended, I gave him a tank that I had, um, he set it up on his desk and we put some, uh, just some cherry shrimp in there, you know, to keep it simple. And uh, yeah, he really got into it. So, um, yeah, he's kind of, his tank's doing pretty well. And, uh, it was kind of a neat little thing. Most of the, most of the other people aren't as, uh, interested in it, but, uh, had one. Awesome. Well, good, good on you, Matthew, for, uh, for getting the one. And, you know, hopefully he gets one more and it just, you know, continues to uh, continues <laughs> to spread and, you know, keep working at those other coworkers and maybe they'll, they'll come around. Um, and the reason I asked if your facilities manager um, or your facilities team got on your case, I had a coworker who is in a uh, remote global location and he had told me that he set up, I think, probably a small three-gallon um, shrimp tank on his desk and the facilities came around and told him he had to tear it down because it was... Uh, glass, water, and electricity. So, um, kind of a bummer that oh. you know he had he couldn't have his little shrimp tank on his desk, which is very unfortunate. Yeah, it's kind of a bummer. It, it does uh, give me those kind of couple moments when I can kind of relax and just stare into the tank and see what's going on. So, a little bit of a stress reliever. Uh, it's uh, it makes a big difference for me at work. So. Yeah, no, I mean, who doesn't want to just sit there and watch the little shrimp do their thing? I mean, they're they're fascinating little creatures for certain. Yeah, and that's probably my most watched tank because since I spend most of the time sitting in front of it, so. All right, Matthew, so you've already alluded to it that for your professional experience, you are a uh, plant engineer for a company that manufactures chlorine tablets for uh, pools. So uh, I, I guess, um, how do you leverage your professional experience and, and how did printed reefing solutions um, come along? Yeah, so uh, it's kind of actually intertwined. Um we're a little bit of a, I want to say a smaller company, mid-sized company. Uh, my boss that I currently work for um, is very, uh, likes to be on the edge of technology. Um, and when uh, 3D printers became started becoming more and more available and, uh, to the home consumer uh, and started pushing in the market, he 
you know, approached me and said, hey, why don't we start taking a look into this? Um, so, you know, I researched and researched and we were looking at bigger units, you know, uh, uh, Stratasys systems that were 80,000 plus. And uh, for what we were doing, I just couldn't justify spending that kind of money on something that we didn't know what we were really going to use it for. Um, so I kind of looked around a little more, um, found some desktop units that were, you know, much, much more in the budget range and uh, pitched the idea of saying, hey, let's just put one on one of our desks and give it a try, just a small one. We'll just start learning. And uh, he pulled out his credit card and walked into his office and ordered it and uh, had it delivered to me. So, uh, you know, I had one at work that I started playing with. Awesome. And did you already have like 3D modeling and CAD skills before you bought the printer? Or is it something that you learned on your own? Yeah. So my, my background is uh, actually in uh, like manufacturing engineering, uh, design engineering. So uh, previous to this job, I did a lot of uh, custom OEM manufacturing equipment. Uh, so uh, this was one-off stuff designed from the ground up. So I became very fluent in, in design concepts and learning how to build things that were easier to manufacture um, and not just uh, aesthetically pleasing, you know, a, a kind of a combination of the two. So um, I'm fluent in SolidWorks, uh, which is a 3D modeling software, which goes hand in hand. That's um, probably the biggest thing that uh, getting into 3D printing that people probably have a hurdle on is the, the, the software side. You know, you get a 3D printer, you put it on your desk, and you're like, hey, this is pretty cool. And you realize that you can only print what other people have already designed without the software. So, And, and decent software is, is fairly pricey out there. There are some free packages that kind of limited range on what you can do. But uh, you realize when you really want to start designing stuff that the, the, the software package is the, the, uh, the hurdle that most people are missing. Yeah. Um, I, but go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, I remember from one of my uh, business courses, we had to, you know, come up with a new product idea and, um, you know, mock up very rough diagrams of, you know, images and sketches of what this thing would be. And so we had this genius idea that we would use um, the free Google 3D printing or not printing, I'm sorry, the 3D modeling software um, to basically make this, you know, two rectangular planes that were kind of joined together on a perpendicular to represent our product. And, you know, these are, you know, we're all guys that are, you know, beyond undergrad. So we're post, um, we're, we're grad students and um, none of us could figure out how to do it. So you would think that it was very <laughs> simple to create a 3D rectangle, two 3D rectangles and put them together. But it's fairly complicated, at least for us. I, I, I've been, you know, CAD is my background. I've been doing CAD since high school. Um, every job I've done is some type of CAD or modeling. So it's, it's, uh, it's a second language to me, really. So it's very uh, easy for me to, to, to go through designs and, and design for that. Um, you know, I think the, the biggest difficulty in product design, especially uh, with 3D printers, is that being able to design a product that is functional for customers um, and aesthetically pleasing, um, but 3D printers have characteristics about their production and manufacturing that lend to better designs uh, or different designing aspects to them. So, you know, from if you were machining parts on a CNC versus uh, making parts uh, on a 3D printer or, uh, you know, even molding parts or, you know, things like that, different, different processes require different uh, designing aspects, different designing mentalities uh, or approaches when you, when you're laying those out. So 
Um, that's, it's something that uh, it, it comes a little more natural to me because I've been doing it long enough. But uh, I can definitely see when uh, you know I talk to people with 3D printers and stuff. They 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 tend to ask a lot of questions. Well, you know, how do you do this? How do you do that? How do you keep yours from doing this? You know, so on and so forth. So it, it can definitely be hurdles for people to, when I get into them. So. Yeah, I'm all about specialization of labor. I've specialized in one type of skill set. Um, you've clearly specialized in another. And if I were to go and try to learn th 3D printing, not to say that people shouldn't explore if you have a passion for it, but um, I have resigned the fact that there are others like yourself who have already had the schooling and have the work experience that can take these concepts and, uh, you know, actually make them something without wasting, you know, a lot of resources, right? Um, I would just waste, yeah. you know, mountains and heaps of times to try to even come up to a, you know, we'll use the term remedial again, remedial level compared to where you're already at. So I will gladly shut up and give you money to, uh, <laughs> for the finished product <laughs> that you've already designed and tested and, and created. Um, so I'm, I'm curious for your, for your manufacturing company, what are, you know, I don't know if you can say, but like, what are some of the, the 3D printed objects that you've printed? Um, and how have they been applied to your, your manufacturing? Uh, you know, for my day job? Yeah, for your, for your day job. Yeah. I mean, cause I'm thinking like from a robustness standpoint, like I just picture, you know, uh, machineries and, 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 uh, you know, production runs and, um, I, I don't see where like the, the printed material comes into play, um, how those two intersect, I guess. So like what, what kind of application? Sure. Uh, yeah. Like, um, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting. That's, that's what we got one and we didn't quite know, well, what are we really going to use this for? Um, what's, but for us, because we're manufacturing, prototyping really isn't, uh, it doesn't necessarily benefit us. We, we don't do a lot of prototyping, so that didn't, didn't, you know, lend itself to us having a 3D printer. Once we had it, um, what I, what I noticed was that we could start building replacement parts, uh, that were longer lead times or unique. Uh, for example, like, um, templates or uh, what we would call nests or um, uh, fixtures, um, guide rails, uh, especially shapes that kind of do stuff. Uh, what we found is that the ABS plastic is actually really stable in our environment uh, because we're in a chlorine, a, a, a very corrosive environment. Metals, you know, corrodes, stainless steel corrodes, uh, aluminum oxidizes, copper dissolves almost in the air. So electronics are a pain, but uh, we found that ABS is extremely stable in that environment. And uh, yeah, it's kind of lend itself into a little bit of a niche. You know, we don't use it real highly, but it does come in handy. And for spending the amount of money we did for a small desktop unit, it's actually been quite beneficial for us. Yeah, that's awesome. And I know from my experience in supply chain and working directly with manufacturing that the last thing you want is for um, a piece of support equipment to go down um, that prevents you from actually shipping customer orders. And then that part in and of itself has a very, very long lead time, right? So now it's kind of this, um, you know, uh, what's the expression? Uh, dollar chasing a dime or a dime chasing a dollar. I think yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, goof, I'm goofing up that uh, uh, yeah. that expression, so I apologize to everybody out there. But uh, yeah, that's really cool how you've been able to leverage the uh, the 3D printer at work. So so let's talk then. All right, so you're using this thing at work, and when does the light bulb click that, uh, hey, man, this thing could uh, start kicking out some product for my home aquarium? 
Yeah, so, uh, you know, obviously I got it at, at, at work and uh, it's got some free time for me to, you know, the, the boss has given me permission to go ahead and just print, you know, play, learn, because um, the only way you're going to be able to learn is by doing. So um, being a uh, saltwater guy, uh, our filtration systems are usually fairly complicated and everybody likes to do everything unique, different, uh, you know, everybody's setup is different from everybody else's so you get into well you know i need a bracket or i need something to hold this or i need something to lift this higher or you know all kinds of little brackets and and needs so uh you know i started printing you know like a line holder that i needed for my dosing lines and i uh, uh was i was absolutely tired of um, digging through my boxes of test kits uh, you know, this one wasn't clean or, you know, this one spilled or I couldn't find this one. And I, the test kit organizers were one of the first things that I actually designed, um, took it home, put it, laid them out. And I, it was amazing to me, the difference that it made for me in testing. Cause one of the things I, I'm not like most people, I, I not a big tester of water. I, you know, I don't want to sit there and test every day or every week, you know, that's something that's not all that fun. But once I organized it and I had everything ready to go, I cut my test time down into like five, ten minutes that I could throw my te- all my tests and run through them. And then when I, I was done, everything was, you know, rinsed and cleaned and set back up. Oh, my gosh. I was like, this is this is ridiculous. So, you know, I, I kind of showed um, some of the guys in, the, uh, in our local club um, that I'm friends with and, you know, talk to him, show him some stuff. And they're like, Oh man, that's, that's, that's pretty cool. He goes, you know, that's when it started rolling. It was like, can you make me one? Can you make me this? Can you make me that? You know, and it started to kind of uh, grow through that. Um, and then in the saltwater side, we do, I don't know if you're familiar with frag swaps. Um, our, our clubs typically put together um, these small kind of swap meets, uh, once or twice a year in their area to uh, have vendors come in and sell corals and fish and stuff like that that aren't in the local markets. And um, our club was like, man, you need to get a booth this year and, and bring some product and sell some stuff. So I ended up doing that and I got a really good, re- uh, you know, a really good draw. And um, it again, just kind of carried on from there. Yeah, that is such a great story. And how long now have you been um, actually printing aquarium-related products? So I've been pretty much selling for the last three years. Be about three years this fall, yeah. Okay, and then initially, I mean, just from your experience with the material and kind of your background in engineering and dealing with different uh, types of materials and metals, um, you already knew that the um, you know 3D printed material you're using was going to be safe for both the saltwater and the freshwater aquariums? Yeah, you know, I, I did do some research because uh, as far as additives and things like that, uh, you know, it's it's ABS um, and it should be nearly 100% ABS. Um, a lot of these manufacturers won't necessarily really release exactly what's in them. Um, so, uh, you know, I had to do some researching and, and do some testing myself. And, and I haven't come across any ill effects on anything. Um, as you know, some of the tougher corals um, in the saltwater side are called SPS, which are stony, uh, small, uh, small polyp stonies. Um, 
that are really particular about water quality and, and any light quality and any any little thing in the water can really affect them uh, even more so than some of these uh, more rare shrimp. So um, I've had some of my coral uh, frag racks that I've had, and I grew out these corals on these frag racks to make sure, hey, if, if, if these sensitive corals are going to be okay with it, then I, I don't have a, a problem recommending them. And I had some of these corals actually growing on the plastic. So, you know, I, I can't say I, – I, Unfortunately, I can't say with 100% certainty that there is nothing that isn't maybe a little harmful in the plastic, but from all the research that I have found and the research that I've done on my own, I have had zero ill effects that I've ever seen. So, And you've been at this for three years now. I, I mean, I, I don't even want to fathom a guess of, of how many of these various pieces of aquarium equipment you've moved um, across the country, maybe even globally. And I would assume then you've had no feedback from customers then that are like, hey, man, I think you need to pull this product because I just had an entire tank wipe out. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, one of the and I, the biggest question I have in my product line is and I'm, I'm always open to talk about it is the magnets. Uh, in the freshwater side, I, I just haven't had a problem with those magnets uh, in, in freshwater. They're not freshwater isn't corrosive enough to really bother them. But in the saltwater side, it it, it I, mean, I don't care how well you protect metal in the saltwater side, metal is going to corrode eventually. Um, so that's always my biggest question, and I'm always free to talk about it because basically what I'm going to tell people is that you're putting metal in your tank. It's an understanding that you are putting metal in your tank. I've I've found the most protected metal I could find as far as magnets. Um, but there is the, the uh, possibility that it will rust over time. Um, and what I have seen from my experience is that a lot of these companies have tried to protect their magnets so much that they completely encased them with all this plastic or acrylic. But most of these materials are hydroscopic and they'll actually begin to uh, what they call hydrolyze and, and absorb water into the plastic itself so eventually it gets to the magnet and then it corrodes that magnet which is completely hidden from the eye uh, inside and it corrodes and it corrodes and it corrodes until it actually explodes open breaks open the plastic and what i have seen is that's when tanks crash because you get this huge dose of uh you know release of iron into the system all at once um, so from a product design, you know, going into this, I, I sat back and I'm like, okay, I'm going to put metal in the tank. You know, what's my approach? Um, I'm going to keep this in my tank and I'm very protective of my tank myself. Uh, so I decided, well, I'm not going to hide the magnet. I'm just going to leave it out. So that's kind of my biggest question I usually get is, you know, you, you know, well, how come you don't hide the magnet or why you, you should encase this to protect it. And, uh, and the reason that I don't is so that it, it visually, you can see that if something's going wrong, uh, it's not hidden from, you know, hidden from your eye or, or waiting to explode. The other side of it is that because it's not hidden, uh, it doesn't corrode. If it starts to corrode for any reason, like you, somebody scratches it or nicks it and then it starts to corrode, um, it starts off really slow and that iron release into the tank isn't this explosion. So you may start to get a little bit of algae or something as a result of it, but I haven't had anybody, you know, say, oh, you crashed my tank or, you know, my tank just went into a heavy decline because of it. 
Um, I've had I've had one rust in mine, and you know I haven't had those ill effects. So you know I'm uh, I'm very I'm very watchful of the as you kind of mentioned uh, the products that I'm using and putting in the tanks because I use them in mine first, and uh, you know I keep some higher end stuff. So I I, I don't want to destroy my own stuff as as uh, would be. Yeah, no, that's great, and I think it's really coming through and just how you're talking about this subject that. Um, you know, you are a, a passionate hobbyist first and that you want, um, you know, everyone in the hobby that you're interacting with through printed reefing solutions to have a good experience, you know, not just with your product, but also just in the hobby in general. So the last thing that it sounds like you want to do, and because this is kind of a side fun gig for you, is to sell them a product that, you know, is going to to ruin their experience and that, you know, you, you've used yourself as the guinea pig. And I mean, you've put a ton of thought into, you know, your magnet selection and, um, you know, encasing or leaving exposed. So I, I think that's just a huge kudos. Um, that's awesome. You know, your customer focus is just really, really coming through. Um, and I can say from my experience that, you know, you do have exceptional customer service and that, um, you know, we can talk about that in just a little bit, but I'm incredibly satisfied with my interactions with you uh, so far. Um, but I do want to go back and talk about the API combo organizer because I absolutely want to second that and say uh, that test kit is awesome, right? But that thing is such a pain in the butt to pull out. Like half the time <laughs> you go to grab the plastic lid and maybe you get the base and then it slips out of your hands and you've got test tubes and cards and everything is just everywhere. Um, I didn't order that from you, but I need to go back and actually order that thing because um, that that API, the master wa the master water test kit, um, that organizer that I'm, I'm looking at right now, that thing is sweet. Um, and it's one of those things where if just setting it up or just getting it out is a pain in the butt, you're that much less likely to actually to want to test your water. And I know people are like, well, that, you know, that shouldn't be an excuse, but it is right. It's a reality. We all are strapped for time. And if it's just one more exactly. layer of something that we have to deal with, um, like I know logging on to my, you know, to my computer, if I want to go onto the network, if I'm at home, I have to pull out my VPN token and I have to, you know, use the private network to get in or the private access to get into my network. And that in and of itself is a pain in the butt and <laughs> I may not log on to my computer that night just because I don't want to go in my backpack and pull out my token and have to log on. It, it, you know, it's just that extra layer that, eh, I'll do it tomorrow morning. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, I, and, and it's kind of funny, the the, the test kit that, um, you know, is when you get into salt water and stuff, you you're start to test your alkalinity and calcium and magnesium and, and these are titrations that take a little bit longer and, uh, Basically, to to make it simple, uh, what I'd had with my organizer set up on a, a little desk that I had, and I kept one little tub, like Rubbermaid or a, a Tupperware tub of just some RO water in it, and then another one that I, I dumped out my reagents when I was done with them. So, you know, I'd pull a clean test tube off the rack, which was sitting right there. I'd do my test, dump it in the one that took the reagent you know, uh, dip it into the RO one, shake it up, clean it up a little bit, dump it into the waste one again, and then set it on the drying rack. So, you know, in, in a matter of, you know, five, 10 seconds, I cleaned the test tube and it was ready to go for the next time every time. And that was my biggest, that's my biggest time saver right there. Yeah, I feel like with your experience and, and, you know, my experience in supply chain, I feel like, you know, we, we might have crossed paths in a different life. 
um, with you, know, especially you and your, your tooling engineering. But I already I already feel like you've got the gears turning of the continuous improvements, lean manufacturing, 5S. I feel like it's already churning in your head. Um, you know, as, oh, yeah. you, as you set up your own room, like, you know, you want to eliminate every wasteful step possible. Um, and a huge part of, you know, 5S, which I don't even want to go down that tangent for folks what that is, but it's basically, <laughs> you know, you want to have everything in the place where it needs to be organized, ready to go. So it's always repeatable, right? And the more repeatable you make exactly. it, uh, the less likely you are to make a mistake or to lose something. Um, so <laughs> yeah, yeah. but we don't want to go. What, what, yeah. What you need, where you need it. And ready to go when you need it. Exactly, exactly. But now that sounds too much like work, and I don't want to talk about that. So. <laughs> All right. So yeah, I, I got and and to, just to touch on that, I mean, my engineering background, I do have um, lean Six Sigma background too, so that does play a part in how I, my mind thinks. So. Oh, there you go. Awesome. Yeah, we 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 probably have way too many things in common then from a work perspective. <laughs> All right, Matthew. So let's talk about then um, your filters, right? So I actually went ahead and placed an order with you uh, for a magnetic corner uh, filter. Um, and so what led you to going down the path then of the filtration? Was it your idea? Was it something that a customer of like your organizer kit that they came to you and said, hey, you need to start making corner uh, matten filters? Um, no, you know, I, I, I um, again, I always dig into my research and I started setting up shrimp, shrimp tanks a while back and, um, uh, filtration from the saltwater side, again, filtration's a, a big deal. Uh, you know, we spend a lot of time and money on our filtration systems, uh, even though they're mostly hidden. Um, but uh, a lot of, uh, push in the recent years for saltwater is to make your, your sump systems pretty. Uh, LEDs, uh, colored acrylics, you know, making it glow, making, you know, making it uh, something that you can show off uh, and not just an eyesore under the tank or, or downstairs in the basement. And, uh, you know, that, that kind of played a little bit into the, the shrimp side, you know, like looking at the, uh, uh, the corner filters, uh, sponge filter setups. I didn't really see anything that I, I liked or thought that was aesthetically pleasing for the tank. Um, you know, it's cheap. You can buy the sponge filters for about 10 bucks or whatever. Um, or you can buy some sponge and, and, and an uplift tube and, and put them across the end wall of your tank, you know, stuff like that. But for me, you know, it just wasn't aesthetically pleasing. I wanted a tank that was kind of nice. So, you know, I just started thinking about ways to, to, um, improve that and come up with my own design. And from my own design and my own aquariums, again, it kind of evolved into a product. So. That's kind of typically where most of my products uh, roll from is my own use, my own need, um, or from talking to, uh, you know, I talk to a lot of people in the hobby uh, in different clubs, and I, I'd go to different shows for the saltwater side and freshwater side, and I talk to people, and they, they tell me, hey, I need this. You should make this. You should design something that can do this, you know, and, and I think, too, I'll, you know, I take everybody's uh, – everybody's suggestion and, and keep it a mental note and write them down when I get home so that they're on the, they're on the drawing board. I may not get to them, but I have a lot of things on the drawing board. I can put, I can definitely tell you that. So I guess just kind of swag, right? Like, so once somebody gives you uh, an idea or the, you know, let, we'll use this uh, magnet or not, not even the magnetic one, but just your, your first iteration of corner HMF filter, um, you're like, all right, Matthew, I, I need to go ahead and make this roughly how many iterations and how many design hours do you think went into, uh, the first like viable product? Um, 
You know, it's a good question. I, I don't necessarily track my hours. Uh, I, I tend to spend, uh, like the filter will say, well, you know, probably a good 40, 80 hours in design time that I probably got in those filters. Um, tweaking most of, most of the filter body, that wasn't too big a deal. Uh, design comes a little more natural to me, so that kind of stuff plays out pretty quickly in my head. Um, the uplift tube, uh, the you don't you got a powered one so you don't have the air uplift tube but the air uplift tube that i designed um is designed to make the flow out of the uplift tube from keep from burping so it's like a constant flow uh and it doesn't release a lot of air across the water surface so it actually releases the air inside the chamber before it spills out uh the spout so i put a lot of thought and time into that uh and designing that so that i could print it uh, that's the, that's the other side of all this is I can design all kinds of stuff, but when you go to put it in the printer and go to print it, uh, especially ABS with this tendency to warp can be uh, can be problematic to print parts repetitively um, and get it to look the same every time. So, um, you know, I like I said, I probably got about forty to eighty hours in just that the uplift tube itself. Wow, that's a that is a lot of design time, and I'm sure that you know if if somebody were to contract you out to do something like that, you know your rate, you know design engineering, uh, 3D modeling rates are are you know they're probably fairly fairly pricey. So you know you've already invested quite a bit of this your own personal time into this, and um, you know which, which to me means that when you pass it along to the consumers or what you what you list these at, knowing just how much thought and even with that uplift up lift tube um, working to eliminate that gurgling or to try to reduce that um, that noise as much as possible um, to me that that definitely is something that adds to the value of that product and, and just justifies you know what your asking price is um, so how many how many iterations yeah. like I guess how many prototypes did you did you print out and were like eh, no like is there is there a pile of like 10 of them somewhere in the corner or or did you nail yeah. it did you nail uh, it on the first printing no no I probably got about um, I probably had about four or five of those uplift tubes. You know, I had a really good idea of what I wanted the design to look like, and it probably took me about four or five iterations to to get it to print the way I wanted and, and function the way I wanted. Um, I've actually tried some iterations since then that I tried playing with the spout uh, design and things like that because I, I, you know, I I listen to the feedback when people are talking, you know, and they they want to. Uh, well, you know, it'd be nice if you could do this or that. And, and I actually, like I said, I, I take those considerations in and I go home and I see if I can do that kind of stuff. And I've tried flattening the nozzle so that it looked more widespread and not round. Um, I've tried lowering it so it wasn't sitting as high. But, you know, I, I the flow and the, uh, the way that the air separates from the water in the spout just doesn't work if I start to change that design. And the, the feedback that I've gotten from most people, especially with the air uplift tube, is that it, it outperforms anything that they've purchased or made themselves usually. Um, it's, it's got some pretty good flow to them. Uh, I actually have to regulate mine down just on my 10-gallon tanks, otherwise i got too much flow going. Uh, and that's just with the air uplift tubes. So I'm kind of proud. You know, I, I'm, I'm kind of proud of that. I mean, that's, when I get the feedback that people are like, yeah, i got to turn it down. This has got great flow, you know. Um, when I get that kind of feedback, that that makes me happy. So 
No, that's awesome. And you absolutely should be proud. I mean, I could tell you right now, if I designed and printed and, and made something that awesome, I would be super proud. So um, kudos to you, Matthew, on that and, and making that product available. And, you know, customers are having a fantastic experience with it. Um, and so you also talked about the aesthetics, right? Like you wanted something aesthetically pleasing. And we didn't touch on this yet, but you offer, you know, a few different colors, right? Yeah, uh, mostly uh, my eight standard colors that I do, but, uh, you know, black and white. And then uh, I, from the saltwater side, we're, we like bright colors. So, you know, you got the fluorescent orange and green and yellow and blue. Uh, you know, I got purple and red. Um, I got the basic color rainbow spectrum. Um, you know, most, pe- most, most people go with the black. Uh, it, it hides with the filter, kind of disappears into the corner, um, not as noticeable. But, uh, you know, I do get people that, that do enjoy putting some color in the tank. So I, I like that you called it kind of your basic eight colors, because I think in, in this hobby, right, like we're so used to just buying the one product offering of a given filter. And, you you know, there is no color choice. There is no, um, you know, nobody even thinks that color is an option. And yet here you are offering eight different color options for uh, these various products. And it's not just the corner filters, right, that you offer the colors. It's, um, we haven't talked about them yet, but the, you know, magnetic moss ledges, the boost ledges, um, and even your test kit organizers, right? Those are all available in your color offerings. Is that correct? Uh, Yeah, I mean, actually, the moss ledges, I do like a dark green and a black. Um, Those are my standard colors. Uh, I haven't had anybody actually ask for them in color. Um, And and I think that most people in the, the... in the uh, planted tank world and, and shrimp world that use those moss ledges, most of them, the feedback I've gotten is they, they don't want them to, they don't want them to show through the plants. You know, you, you're trying to actually uh, kind of just give the plant a base and not necessarily take the focus away from the plant. So the feedback I've gotten is that most people don't like the colors on those, but uh, um, that's probably the only product offering that I don't. And I've done custom colors where people have said, I've done some hot pink, uh, stuff like that. Um, people wanted something a little bit different or a particular color for a particular reason. And usually I got to upcharge just because I got to order that color in for that specific order. But, uh, you know, I'm usually happy to, you know, try to keep the cost down. And I, I, I look at it as well. I'm buying another color. So if I have a need for it, then I have it now. And I, I try not to pass too much of that along to the customer. So. Like I said, I'm into the hobby and I, I enjoy people. I enjoy people enjoying my product. So that, that's the biggest deal for me. But if a crazy shrimp guy came along and said he wanted a hot pink boost ledge, would you make him a hot pink boost ledge if he had it around? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I had, uh, uh, I don't have, there's a couple items that I don't have on my website that people know about. And one of them is uh, called the bagging station uh, for guys that are selling shrimp. Uh, it's a little kind of stand that holds the uh, the bag uh, so that you can pour the water in and add the shrimp, and it holds the nets and some pins and the bags and rubber bands. It's a little organizer for that. And uh, I had one gentleman, he absolutely needed hot pink, so I made him one in hot pink. <laughs> that is fantastic. Now, now you... I don't need that, but now that you're telling me it's not even available on your website for me to order, I feel like I need that now, Matthew. So <laughs> just by holding out on us, right? Like I think everybody wants that now. Yeah, I, I do have. I got some products in that I just haven't really released yet, hardcore. Um, and uh, it's 
I, I've been busy, which is a good thing, and uh, but it's it, it's limited me. You know, I only have so much time with my my day job and trying to do it at, at night. So uh, I try to try to push as much as I can, but eventually I hit a wall. So yeah, definitely. And you've got a very large uh, product offering already that you do have available on here. Like I, I had already said, um, you have a variety of the corner filters. You have um, standard corner filters. You've got magnetic corner filters, uh, minis. Uh, normal size. You've got moss ledges, boost ledges. Um, we already talked about the organizer racks. You have uh, feeding zones, um, retaining walls. I thought one was really cool that I didn't see uh, before this. This I was actually you know just perusing your uh, your site again. Uh, float switch bracket kits. So I'm guessing that's for mm-hmm. guys that maybe they run sumps uh, or they run yeah they run a sump system and they don't want to potentially um, prevent the overflow scenario, right? So they have the kill switches on the floats. Yeah, correct. Uh, like auto top off systems, or uh, for example, like my sump has three float switches on them, so that if the if the sump starts to fill, I know my return pump failed, and it, uh, we usually like apex controllers and things like that that run our tanks. It actually emails me and tells me my high limit switch is on, so I know that my pump has failed, or my low level switch is on, which means my auto top off ran out and I forgot to fill the dang thing. Uh, you know, things like that. Yeah, so I mean, you've really, you know, leveraged your experience in the hobby um, to create products that are available for people, but also, like you said before, your customers where, um, yeah, I see right here your Apex controller bracket. I mean, you've got uh, a ton of like really cool product offerings on here, Apex auto feeder bracket. Um, this is, I could have fun just going through here for the next like five minutes and just listing off <laughs> all of these really cool products, line holders that you've already talked about. Um, more controller brackets for a different brand. Um, really, really cool. And so um, have you recently received any requests uh, from customers? Uh, yeah, I've got some. I've got some requests. Um, a little more difficult on the products that I've been working on. Um, I, I won't really say offhand, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm working with a product with uh, Eric Martins, actually, Um He's kind of come to me with a product that he wants. Uh, I've got another gentleman, and I'm working with a product that that he he's wanting to move. Um, that are that are good ideas, and I, I really like them. So I'm, I'm working through those with those guys. Um, and like I said, I do have a list of of suggestions that people have given me, and I've I've definitely been working through them. I kind of have to wait them, where you know I'm kind of thinking, okay, well, how many people really want this product versus this one? And that's kind of how I try to put them in order. Uh, as as I think that there's a uh, how much of a need out there does this product have? Um, I don't want to make a product that only you know five or six guys are going to need. Um, I'm more than willing to make that product for that person if they need it, which I have uh, a couple times actually. Um, you know, custom stuff, one-off stuff, uh, guys that just need something special, and uh, I'm more than happy to do that. So yeah, that's <laughs> it's. It's a long list. I can definitely tell you that. So, and you don't have to say what the product idea was or, you know, definitely not who the person was, but just a simple yes or no. Has anybody ever submitted a request to you that was just so utterly ridiculous you had to shake your head and just walk away? Um, not really. Most of the suggestions most people have come up with, uh, um, you know, they're usually looking for some usefulness. You know, they, they really do have a useful purpose to them. So, um I do look at um, 
when I do get suggestions and things like that, I do research the market and see if other people have already put a product out there or something that's very similar. Uh, I, I guess it's just my personality. I don't like to put a product out there that already exists unless I have what I feel is a, a distinct design advantage to it uh, or purpose to it. Um, you know, I, I know that there's, uh, you know, Chaz puts out um, moss ledges. Um, so it was a, a concern of mine when I did decide that I wanted to build some moss ledges that I made sure that mine was extremely different from his. You know, this is suction cup. Mine are magnetic. Uh, those are, you know, grid pattern. Mine are cone shape. Mine are angled down, you know, things like that. So my considerations are not to put a product out that's competing against something that's in the market. Um, but that my product has a, a usefulness, number one, a, a design appeal to it that people will like, and that I'm not stepping on something that's already out there. Um, yeah, no, that's super, that's very, very thoughtful because you are definitely serving a very niche market, right? And, um, you know, there's already so few, I don't want to say so few customers, but, you know, you're not, you're not hitting the hang on back aqua clear market, you know, you're, you're serving something much more specialized and, and a much more involved hobbyist. So I can, I can totally appreciate your approach to that. Yeah. And that's just the, that's just the kind of line I draw and I'm not looking to, you know, quit my day job and, and take this, you know, it, it'd be nice if it grew like that, but I don't see it growing with that, with the 3d capabilities, you know, it, it is scalable to a point. Um, but I think that I, I sit more in a, a niche market where, I provide an array of colors um, that like blow molders aren't going to come and steal my product and produce them in eight different colors. They're just not going to do that. There's not enough volume, you know, for them to compete against that. Um, so that my, my color range and, and my design twists, I think keep, keep me in that niche. I don't think that I'll be selling millions of them by any means, but uh, you know, I've, I've been actually pretty impressed with how many HMS filters that I've sold. That's, that's been one of my biggest sellers. So that one kind of took me a little by surprise at how well that one did. Matthew, that is an awesome segue because I want to wrap this conversation up with talking about uh, my experience with the, the HMF filter. Um, so uh, a little background, I had a, a 20 long tank that I needed to get set up and um, get ready and, and all cycled and ready to roll for uh, some, some chiller Athenas from Gary Lang, who um, in the month of June, a couple weeks ago, spoke at the Greater Seattle Aquarium Society. Um, I was able to pre-order um, some some Chilerthina um, rainbow fish, uh, super awesome fish, uh, two pair of them, two breeding pairs, and I needed a tank for them. And I knew that for this particular tank, I absolutely wanted to go with an HMF filter. Um, I didn't know I wanted a corner filter, but I knew I wanted an HMF filter because I was going to be pulling mops out of, and I just wanted it to be a very clean, very streamlined tank, uh, maybe a little planted. But my whole my whole approach was I don't want to have to deal with if I ever if I ever need to fish these guys out or fish out the mops, you know, tangling up with cords and, and um, airlines and all that fun stuff and, you know, sponge filters flying everywhere. So I just wanted something <laughs> static in place, very clean. And that's when, you know, going through that Facebook group, um, I saw, you know, various posts. And, and I think a couple of the posts actually 
the guys had very, very colorful, like the real bright um, lime green filters. And that instantly caught my eye. And I'm like, what is going on here? Who is making this product? <laughs> and that's when I found you. And I'm like, I need to contact you. I need to get this corner filter ASAP so I can get this tank set up. Um, so when I placed my order with you, um, it was actually kind of custom, right? Like you asked me, hey, am I going to have gravel? What depth of bed am I going to go with? Um, I kind of blew your mind because I told you I wanted a, a four inch kind of um uh, I was going to have like a four inch bed in the back, uh, which I, I probably could have gone three inches, but nonetheless, like this custom experience where, um, you were able to customize that filter for me, uh, instead of using an air pump with an, uh, the uplifter, which I'm kind of regretting not getting now talking after hearing you talk about how much time and effort and the performance you're getting out of that. Um, but I ended up going with a powered solution. So I'm using a pump, uh, for the return and you've got a, uh, you know, a really cool return nozzle on there. And I went with a magnetic option so that, you know, I didn't have to silicone anything in place or, or use some other means to, uh, to keep it in place. Um, so when it, when it arrived and I mean, you know, you, you turned it, I think you turned it fairly quickly. I think there might've been a family vacation, but nonetheless, like, you know, knowing that I'm buying from a hobbyist, right? Like completely within my expectations, um, the filter arrived, I go to install it and I don't know what it was about my tank configuration or whatnot, but the fit on it just wasn't. Um, the magnetic fit on it wasn't as tight as, as what I thought it was going to be. Um, do you have any, like, I guess what was kind of going through your mind when I had sent you that message? Yeah, I wasn't sure because uh, you, you were trying to explain it. And I'm like, man, why why is this not fitting? You know, I, I wasn't quite, you know, I usually inspect all, uh, and I inspect all my filters before I send them just to make sure that there's nothing, you know, silly going on. And, uh, you were saying you were having problems. I'm like, oh, good Lord, what's going on with your filter? I haven't had one really with a fit problem. Um, I, and to top it off, you'd call, you uh, messaged me about the, the pump would fail to work right out of the box. Yeah, which honestly, like for, for what it's worth, I didn't even know it came with a pump. Like that was an added bonus. I already had a pump ready to go. So that would like, I didn't, you know, that, that was no worries for me. But, you know, again, your customer service, like that was another thing where you're like, oh man, I could, you know, like one more thing to, to have to deal with for in terms of customer service that, you know, I'm sure you weren't feeling super awesome about. Well, you know, it's it's for me, it's just embarrassing. You know, I, I want to make sure that when you get your product, it's something, you know, I, I'm the same way when, when I buy something and I get it and I get it at home and I'm ready to use it. I want to use it. I don't want to go, oh, it's broke. And so, you know, I, I, it, it's terrible when I have somebody reply to me and say, hey, you know, I'm having issues, but, but I don't want anybody to, to not do that because, uh, the first thing I want to do is make sure that you get taken care of. So yeah, once you, you were telling me you were having a fit issue and we couldn't really figure, I couldn't really figure out what was going on. Like it wasn't necessarily into the corner, right. Or what? And finally I just, I was like, you know what, um, between all the problems that we're going to have a redo on this. So, um, you know, I went ahead and made another filter to, and made sure that, you know, everything was, was squared up as it should be and, and got it sent out to you. And I think, with a new pump and all that. So from the sounds of it, everything went smoothly on that one. Yeah. And actually what, what really surprised me is that you went, um, you know, you added, uh, a middle magnet, right? So instead of having two on each side, you've now got three on each side and, um, they were, they were, they seem to be more compact and stronger. So, um, you know, to me, it seems like, you, you know, you kind of made, uh, you Im further improved on a design that was already really good. Right. 
Yeah, I, I, for some reason, I, I wasn't sure what was going on, so I made sure that uh, I spread those magnets, uh, a couple extra magnets in there, and, and went with a little bit different design approach to try that. Um, and I, I do like that design, so I may actually be going to that on some of the uh, newer filters as I make them. I may make that change a little bit different there. But like I said, I'm always looking at improvements. So if there's always something that, that I get feedback on that pushes me to do something a little bit different, there's I'm going to make that change. Yeah, and I mean, my, my experience with this filter is, you know, I'm incredibly satisfied. I mean, I, I think I'm even more satisfied with your um, approach to customer service, your willingness to make sure that everything was taken care of. Like, I'm embarrassed that I even had to have you go through those extra steps because I like to try to be the, the easiest customer as possible. Um, so I felt like kind of a pain in the butt for even having to drag you through that. But your response to it, though, was just absolutely phenomenal. Um, and, it, you know, I can definitely say it was a pleasure doing business with you. And I really want to pick up that um, master test, test kit from you as well. Uh, because I think that thing is awesome. But I mean, this 20 gallon tank for for being a fairly bare tank, like it just looks really clean. That corner filter in the back is super sleek. I did go with black. I didn't go with anything too extravagant, uh, you know, color wise. Um, you know, the, it, the, the heater fits in perfectly back there. Um, you know, everything is just dialed in on that. The rainbow fish are absolutely loving it pretty much by like morning one as i'm checking the spawn after i get these things they're already throwing eggs so clearly <laughs> clearly the rainbow fish are happy right like they flew all the way across yep. the country yep. with gary lang from missouri to uh to washington you know they're in a bag for three days or you know i'm sure gary changed the water but they they were you know in a bag maybe changed the water for three days um now they're in a tank and pretty much like the next day they're throwing eggs and breeding so sure you know rainbow fish like to do that but nonetheless i think that's that's pretty telling that um they're comfortable in this tank and i and i think they really do like the flow that the uh the filter puts out yeah and, and that was one of your uh, and that's why i asked the questions because you're buying a filter i don't i don't pretend that my filters are the cheapest thing out there um they're they're unique and they're designed to you um and that's that's you know what i want i want a filter that's going to fit your needs what you're keeping in your tank you know, if you're going to put a four inch substrate in there or you're going to put a, a bare bottom in there, there's no reason for me not to adjust that filter so that it allows for that. You know, your flow, uh, if an air uplift tube is going to do that for you and you want the, the extra oxygenation in the water or for in your case, I, uh, you know, the 20 long to be able to put the amount of flow to the other corner of the tank and, and uh, turn a little more times on the tank because you, you've got, uh, you know, fish in there instead of just shrimp. Then uh, you know we're going to go with the power option. You know I want I want to be able to adjust that filter to what you need. So I think those are the those are the tweaks that I like to make and and the, the extra steps that I like to take for the customers to make sure you know they're happy to make sure their tanks are happy and and that the, when they show people their aquarium that, that they want to show the filter too. You know that that makes me that makes it worthwhile for me. Yeah, man, like I said, you know, I, I can't tell you enough how satisfied I am. Um, and I hopefully people listening to this are also, you know, one, we've piqued their curiosity on all of these various products that you have. Um, you know, they want to join the club and get a, a corner HMF filter as well and, and be awesome like the Aquarius podcast and, and have that in one or many of their tanks. So why don't you go ahead and plug how people can get a hold of you? Um, and I guess my next question, you know, to, before I let you go is, do you ship international as well? So I know we've got uh, listeners in Canada, we've got listeners in the UK, um, and listeners, you know, all over the world for that matter. Um, so do you ship internationally? Uh, yes, I do. 
Um, usually on a, I, I do have something like uh, Canada and stuff like that that are set up on the website to go ahead and order. Most of the other ones, I usually have them just contact me, and I'll, I'll get some shipping rights for you just to make sure that you're comfortable with how much shipping goes. Uh, for the most part, I've seen about 20 to $40 for overseas shipping. Um, that stays pretty pretty basic across the board. But, yeah, I will ship international. Uh, I've shipped uh, quite a few places, actually. Um, you know, if you want to look at the products and uh, take a look at what my offerings are, I have a full website uh, at www.printedreefingsolutions.com. Um, also, a Facebook page that I try to show off some custom products and things that I do for customers uh, on uh, Printed Reefing Solutions on Facebook. Um, messaging me through Facebook is usually the easiest way to get a hold of me or emailing me through the uh, website. Uh, both I look at daily and try to respond to as quickly as possible. So um, those are the those are my main channels of uh, contact. Awesome. And I'll make sure that I include all of those in the show notes. So if anybody missed that, you just go into the show notes and uh, we'll have those links ready to go for you. And if you do buy from Matthew, tell him the Aquarius podcast sent you. There is no additional discount. There is no commission for me, but it will give me a warm fuzzy knowing that uh, hopefully I sent somebody else over to, uh, to Matthew to get one of these awesome products that he has. So Matthew, thank you very much for joining me tonight on the Aquarius podcast. Um, fantastic conversation. Super pleased with your product. Um, and you know, you're not too bad for a saltwater guy. <laughs> I appreciate that. It was a pleasure talking to you, Randy. All right, Matthew, you have a good night now. You too. Thank you very much. Thank you again for listening to the Aquarius podcast. As always, get involved in your local fish club, help grow this wonderful hobby, and have fun with other fish nerds.